The series is called Red Letter Day, and um, the Red Letter Day that we're thinking of here, that, that phrase kind of comes from a, a tradition back in England where on the church calendar years ago they would circle certain days and certain important days on the church calendar and they would be written in red. So uh, this morning, Kyle reminded us that Mother's Day is a day that should be a red letter day for all you kids out there. In fact, not just kids, every one of you that's got a mum. That day should be on your calendar. I have a really hard time because um, Mother's Day is today in England. Today is Mother's Day. For some reason, Father's Day is the same in America as it is in England. But Mother's Day is on two different dates. So I have no warning. So I have to get that on my calendar. And then do you know what's even tougher? I have to find a card for my mum here like two months before Mother's Day even is, is on the calendar. And some of you may have even guessed from something I just said. The other difficult thing is because I have to find a card for my mum Now, do you know, for some weird reason, you guys don't sell cards that say mum. No, all your cards say mom, M-O-M. And I need a card that says mum, M-U-M, because I've got a mum. And uh, that's an English thing. It's not a plant. Um, So so, so for me, Mother's Day is a red letter day. I have to get that on the calendar. So, uh, But the red letter day that we're talking about in this particular series is Easter Sunday. Easter Sunday is um, a huge day on the church calendar. It's a fantastic day for us here at Connect Church. And, and really, it's, it's a great day for a couple of reasons. The first reason, and probably the most obvious reason, is that um, Easter Sunday is the day that we celebrate the empty tomb. Easter Sunday is the day that we celebrate and we remember, you know, yeah, on Good Friday we remember that Jesus died. But you know what? On Easter Sunday we remember and we celebrate that he rose again. And for us um, as a church, that's like the, the greatest day of the year. Because it's the day that we remember what Jesus did for us, the victory that Jesus had over death. So that's the main reason why we like Easter Sunday. It's a great day to celebrate. But you know, there's a, there's a second reason we here at Connect like Easter Sunday. And the second reason is that for a lot of people, Easter Sunday, that's the day they go to church. So a lot of your friends and neighbors and uncles and aunts and cousins, they're going to say, you know what? We should probably go to church. It's Easter Sunday. And we're thrilled because some of them are going to choose Connect Church. And we're really hoping that they'll come in and they'll get a little bit of a rude awakening. They'll be like, whoa, this is pretty fun. I actually enjoy being here. That that kind of was different than I imagined. You know, I might get crazy here and go to church on another Sunday. (laughs) Christmas, maybe. No, more than that. More than just Easter Sunday and Christmas. Maybe some other Sundays in between. So we're really expecting a lot of visitors to come on Easter Sunday, and we're really hoping and praying that they'll enjoy the service. The truth is that we're, um, we're really expecting a lot. That's why we've decided to go to two services, one at 9.30 and one at 11. And we really are expecting it to be a great service, and we need your help. We want you to be telling your friends and your neighbors, and because people will be thinking about going to church. Maybe someone who wouldn't normally go to church. If you were to invite them on Easter Sunday, they would come, because people like to go to church on Easter Sunday. We're going to help you with that as well. We've created a little video that we've already put on the Connect Church Instagram page. So you can go ahead and like that after church. I know some of you are already on the Instagram page right now. But um, check that out later. But uh, it will also be on our Facebook page. But you can check this out, this short little video here. We hope to see you there. 
Yeah, don't freeze on that last image. So, um, so there you go. That'll be on our Facebook page. You can share that. You can like that and whatever you need to do to spread the word on social media. And uh, that is actually a very special video because um, <coughs> that's the last video. <coughs> excuse me. That is the last video I will ever make wearing that shirt. Someone actually asked me this morning, they're like, is that the shirt you wear in all your videos? And I suddenly realized that, you know, I do. There are several videos, yeah, that when someone actually starts noticing, you're like, okay, yeah, maybe I've worn that too many times. So, uh, so yeah, it's a very special video. That's the last time on a video you'll ever see me wearing that shirt. So, uh, so like it, share it, tweet it, whatever you young kids do these days. So, uh, do that and uh, let's spread the word. So, the idea of this series, Red Letter Day, is um, leading up to Easter that's, um, that's just three Sundays away. So after today, we have one, two, is it three Sundays or four Sundays. It's, it's close, okay? It's coming up here real soon, all right, on April the 20th. So each Sunday leading up to that final Sunday, this series, we're looking at some of the phrases that Jesus uttered while he was on the cross. Some of the statements that Jesus made in those last hours of his life. As Jesus was hanging there on the cross, we read in, in several different areas in the New Testament, in, in what we call the Gospels, that's the, the stories of Jesus' life. We read these different phrases and these different statements that Jesus made literally in the last few hours of his life. <coughs> Every one of them, profound words that had deep implications on his experience at that moment as he was hanging on that cross. But I also believe that have an effect on us today. Some of those things he said were so deep and so profound that they still impact our lives today. And this morning, I want to look, and we're going to look together at probably what I think is one of the toughest phrases that Jesus had to say on the cross. In fact, probably one of the toughest phrases that Jesus ever had to utter. I know when I read through the scriptures, it's definitely one of the, the saddest verses I find myself reading. So we're going to look there together this morning. It'll be up on the, the screen as I read. Uh, if you've got a Bible, we're going to be looking in um, a book called Matthew and chapter 27. Uh, if you've got the Bible app on your phone, you can look it up that way too. So Matthew 27. Matthew is one of the, the four guys that wrote an account of the life of Jesus. And Matthew is very in-depth in his description of those last few days of Jesus' life. And then that, that time on the cross and, and even the time of resurrection. But, um, but in, in that time on the cross, Matthew writes as follows from verse 37 onwards. It says, above Jesus' head, they placed the written charge against him. This is Jesus, the King of the Jews. Now, you need to realize that when that sign was placed upon his head, above his head, that was in no means a sign of respect or honor. That, they were mocking him. They were saying, look at him. He said he was the king of the Jews. Look who we're killing here today, the king of the Jews. It says that two robbers were crucified with him, one on his right and one on his left. So here's Jesus in the company of criminals. And we're actually going to spend a whole Sunday in a few weeks' time talking specifically about those two robbers, about those two thieves that were on the cross next to Jesus. Because there was even interaction that went on between the three of them, between Jesus and those two thieves. So we'll, we'll be talking about that saying as well. But verse 39 says, Those who passed by, they hurled insults at him, shaking their heads and saying, You who are going to destroy the temple and build it in three days, save yourself. Come down from the cross if you are the Son of God. 
They were actually quoting what he himself had said. They, they knew who this was. They knew, they'd heard him say that he was the son of God. And they're saying, well, if you are, come on then, do something about it. You were said you were going to do this. So, so now, where is your God in the middle of this time? Even those that should have been Jesus' allies and friends. It says the same way the chief priests, the teachers of the law, the elders, the religious people of the day, they mocked him. He saved others, they said, but he can't save himself. He's the king of Israel. Let him come down now from the cross and then we'll believe him. And then the next four words, and we're going to focus on this a little bit this morning because those next four words, I think that just really hit the very heart, the very center of this mockery that was taking place. They said, he trusts in God. He trusts in God. Look at him. They were saying, where is your God? You're still going to trust him? I mean, now, in this moment, when you're hanging there on a cross, you're still claiming to trust in God? Let God rescue him now if he wants him. For he said he was the son of God. So in the midst of this this darkest moment of Jesus' life, people are stood at the foot of the cross, pointing up at him, saying, where is your God now? Now, I have to admit that if you or I were there that day, that thought might go through our minds. Especially based on what we would have heard Jesus teaching about and Jesus speaking about through the the years of his his time on earth and, and the reputation he'd got as he spoke. We would look up and think, well, he said that he was the son of God. He said God loved him. Where is God now? Not just based on the fact that his life had come to an end, but the way in which it had come to an end. Here is Jesus hanging upon a cross. If you'd seen him that day, you would be deeply disturbed. Because the scripture tells us very clearly what they did to Jesus as they put him on that cross. It says they beat him. That they abused him so severely that he probably wouldn't have even looked like a human being at that point. It says they whipped him 39 times. And we know from history that the whips the Romans used were were long straps of leather. And and sewn into the leather were sharp objects and bits of glass. So that when they would have whipped his back, that would have dug in. And as they pulled it back, it would have just torn open his skin and his flesh. We're told that soldiers blindfolded him and punched him. Soldiers who probably were wearing big, heavy rings punched him and said, Prophesy, who hit you? You say you're a prophet, tell us who just hit you. They jammed a crown of thorns, thorns that would have been long, hard thorns onto his head. Then they drove nails through his hands and his feet. At that moment, if you were there looking up at that cross, you would have seen someone that looked probably more like an animal than a man hanging naked on the cross. So it's probably no wonder in that moment that people said, you're still trusting God? Where is he now? Where is this God you said you trust in? You know, in studying for this message, I found out that the word trust that they use there, the the Greek word, the actual word is, is pytho. Apparently, it's a Greek word, pytho. And it means to convince or to rely on with inward certainty, to have full confidence or complete trust. So they're saying, hey, listen, it's not just you believe in God or you think God. They're like saying you still have all your confidence, all your belief, all that certainty, all complete trust in God. 
Because you see, I think we'd all agree here this morning, it's very easy to trust in God when things are going well. But to be honest, it's kind of difficult sometimes to trust in God for many of us when life goes dark. All of us at some point must answer that, that fundamental question of life. Do we really trust in God? And we wouldn't be the first to ask that question. You just have to read through the Bible and find out that from the beginning of time that there were, there were prophets and there were psalm writers who, who went through difficult times and probably if they weren't questioned themselves, then maybe they asked themselves the question, do I still trust in God with what I'm going through? Can I really still trust in God? Then following the life of Jesus, we read about his apostles who, who started the church but suffered persecution because of it. As they went out, they were, they were put down and they were persecuted. And even through church history, we read of great church leaders. And it's, it's not been easy. Many of them have suffered for their faith in Jesus. And probably they themselves, if not having been asked the question, may have questioned themselves, do I still trust in God? Because as I said, it's easier to trust him in the light But it's so much more difficult to trust him when life goes dark. Isn't it amazing the difference that light and darkness can make? Just in in any situation. When I was preparing for this message, I was was trying to go through my life and try and think of, you you know me by now, I've got these analogies for everything. And I'm like, okay, what's what's a good way of kind of describing, you know, what that's like? And and somehow, I'm ashamed to say, I went back to this point when I was a a younger, bit sillier of a young man. And um, I was driving and I'd, I'd not been driving long. And there was a place where I, near where I lived, and it was kind of like a, a big park area. It was called Farthing Downs. And as you went across the downs, there was like this long, really straight road that went up through the downs. And there were no streetlights on this road whatsoever. So sometimes, me and my friends, we'd be in my car, and, and I'd take them for a drive across Farthing Downs. And it would be like 9, 10 o'clock at night. Maybe it was a, no moon that night, so it was really dark, no streetlights. And as we were driving on this road, just for a second, just really quick, I'd just turn off the lights. And then turn them right back on again, just, just to see the reaction of my friends in the car. Because like, I wouldn't tell them it was coming, and suddenly, pitch black. So we're still moving at, it was probably like 15, 20 miles an hour. I'm sure it wasn't any, yeah, any faster than that. But um, just to hear the screams from my friends in the car, and then turn them right back on again stupid thing to do. Please, please understand that I've only used this analogy to explain the, the difference between light and dark, not what fun that would be. But um, the, the fear that instantly, like one minute we're there in the light and then the next minute it's suddenly dark and the atmosphere in the car changed completely to terror. In fact, as I was thinking about that very story, I thought, you know, Dave, in three years, your son's going to be driving. I know, my son. yeah. Yeah, 25 now is when Ben will be driving. So if you can help him, give him rides just for those first nine years because he won't have a vehicle of his own. Um, But the truth is, you know, as silly of a story as that was and as stupid of a thing that was I did, when I was thinking about it, I remember it vividly because I remember how everyone got so scared so quickly because it was pitch black and you couldn't see anything. And how just turning the light on could take away all that fear. There was the road, we're okay, we're still straight. And it's the same in life. You know, we hit these points of darkness and, and, and it's really difficult. It's easy to trust God in the light, but it's so much more difficult to trust him when life goes dark. So speaking of dark, let's get right to the phrase that Jesus uttered on the cross that day. Here's what the Bible says about that time on the cross. 
Continuing on in Matthew 27, in verses 45 to 46, it says, From the sixth hour until the ninth hour, darkness came over all of the land. Now, you need to understand here that the way the the Jews kept time, the way the, um, the calendar was run there, the sixth hour would be midday. So basically, what that that verse is saying there is that from midday to 3 p.m., darkness came all over the land. So so what we were experiencing here is midnight darkness at midday. It's almost as if God would say, I'm not even going to let my sun shine on this event. Sun, S-U-N. I don't want even light to shine on this event. About the ninth hour, Jesus cried out in a loud voice. We learn when we study that in the Greek language, this means he was literally screaming. He had endured the abuse of men without complaining. But the moment that God withdrew his presence, Jesus cried out, screaming, Eloi, Eloi, lama sabachthani. I think is how you pronounce that. But what that means is, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Jesus crying out, why have you forsaken me? Never one time did he complain when men did their worst, but when God withdraws, he screams out in agony, I can't take this. I don't understand why. What's interesting to me as I study this is all through those accounts of Jesus' life, we hear about Jesus referring to, to God as his father. Sometimes he calls him Abba, which is a, a, like saying Papa or Daddy. But at this moment, something happens. I don't know what it is, but instead of saying daddy or Abba or Papa or father, he says, my God, my God, why? And I find this to be probably one of the saddest verses in the Bible. And I think probably unquestionably, it could even be uh, described as one of the most confusing There was a great church leader, lived hundreds of years ago, hundreds of years ago, and his name was Martin Luther. He said, how can God forsake God? Because that's what's happening here. Jesus is the son of God. Jesus is God himself in the flesh. How can God forsake God? And and I'll be honest with you here this morning. The answer is, I don't know. I can't fully explain this. There are so many theological challenges in this question that I just don't even know how I could begin to answer. How, why, what? God, his son, forsake him? I mean, Jesus had to know that he was the, the son of God. Surely he knew he was God. But he embraces this one question question that almost all of us ask at some point in our lives. When it goes dark and we don't understand why, we find ourselves very often looking upwards and saying, why would you let this happen to me? Take a look at this video for a sec. Hi, my name is Lisa, and in July of 2008, my husband and I went in for a routine ultrasound at 20 weeks. And... We found out then that our baby didn't have a heartbeat. Hi, my name is Scott. About, it was early morning, I got a phone call, and it was about my grandson being taken to the hospital. And he was my little buddy. He was, he was the world to me. I have other grandkids, but, but Nova was, he was special. Uh, my name is Deidre, and, um... My father sexually abused me until I was eight years old. Um, And he also beat the living daylight out of my mother. And when we got there and they had just had just gotten him resuscitated, they admitted him into his room and 
And it was at that point that I was like, God, why? Why? He's not even three years old. Why would you take this precious boy? It made me feel betrayed by God. It made me feel dirty. It made me feel like God left me um, out there by myself. Um, and I asked why. Um, I couldn't understand why God would allow something like that to happen to me. It was about a week when, when he finally uh, passed away. So that was the hardest thing that we ever had to go through. And it was the hardest point in my life. And I questioned and questioned and questioned why, why was this baby taken from us when I never got to hold him or kiss his face. You know, I knew that this morning's subject would be a tough one to speak on. Weeks ahead, and, and I, I spent time trying to figure out, you know, what are the answers? I need to come with answers to questions here this morning. But the reality is that I, this side of eternity, eternity, I believe, is a perfect place. I believe God created the earth in the first place to be perfect. And because sin, the wrong things that happen in our lives, because that is now part of this earth, this earth is broken. And until we return one day to eternity to be in the presence of God forever, we'll always be affected by this, this sin, these bad things that happen in our world. And hearing those hurts and those questions, I mean, that's at some time or another, that's where we live. And we ask why. And we don't understand and the reality is that we have to understand this morning here that we're not always going to understand. That's the truth. Because we only ever see part of the story. Because of the fact that we can't see everything from God's perspective, we may never fully understand everything. Listen to what um, uh, a guy in the New Testament, his name was Paul. He wrote a, a large part of the, the New Testament, the Bible. He wrote a letter to a church in Corinth. And in 1 Corinthians 13, 12, he said this, talking about our life here compared to our life in eternity with, with God. He said, now we see, but a poor reflection, as in a mirror. Then we shall see face to face. Now I know in part, then I shall know fully, even as I am fully known. The reality is that at this moment, we don't fully understand. There may be a time where we will fully know, but right now we don't. And as I was thinking about this message and preparing for it, um, the, the, the thought I had going back to this, you know, because we want to understand why, and we need to remember sometimes that, that God is much bigger than we realize, and, and what he's doing in our lives is a lot bigger than we realize, and sometimes we just, we can't fully fathom why we go through these things. So, Case and I, we've talked a little bit this morning about Ben. He's our oldest, and this was 12 years ago. He was just um, a year old, and we were out with him one day, and uh, in the car, suddenly, he started to have a seizure. I'd never had one before. We're brand new parents. He's our first child. We didn't know what to do. We called 911. We were terrified, and they took him to the hospital, and they were able to, you know, pull him back into consciousness, and, um, and, and that began a, a crazy time in our lives for about a year where uh, he had several more of these seizures. And they were terrible. Every time it happened, it was just the hardest time for us as parents. And to try and get to the bottom of why this was happening and how we could treat this, the doctors undertook many tests. 
even at one point did a, a lumbar puncture, had to do a spinal tap on our little 18-month-old son. And I can remember at that time him being on the doctor's bed and, and me having to hold them down and hold him down in, in place while the doctor did the injection. And he was screaming. And I could tell, even at 18 months, even though he couldn't really communicate with me properly, he's looking at me saying, Dad, why? Why are you letting this guy do this to me? Why, why, why won't you stop him from doing this? And, and it was awful for me as a dad to watch this. But I, there was no way I could explain, no, Ben, this, is, this doctor's going to find out what's going on. He's going to be able to help you. you know, I couldn't explain that to him. I just had to hold on to him. And it was tough as a dad to do that. But I knew it was for the best. And we were very fortunate, you know, um, the, the diagnosis of what Ben had was called febrile seizures. And basically there was something that, that some infants, many infants grow out of. And it's, uh, they get a fever. And when they get a fever real quick, it causes this seizure. And uh, fortunately, since about the age of two, he's never had one since. It's never, ever been a problem. We're so grateful. But man, it didn't make it any less difficult during that time to, to see him go through that. And to be a dad, seeing him in that pain, but knowing that he had to go through it for the doctors to figure this stuff out. Listen to what God says in Isaiah 55, 8 to 9. He's talking here to the prophet Isaiah. He says, For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are my ways your ways. Sorry, neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. As the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. And really what God's saying here is, listen, there's no way I can fully explain to you everything. My ways are so much. It would be like me as a dad trying to fully explain to my 18-month-old son what was going on during these tests. But here's the good news that God's Word does give us this morning. I want to really um, focus in on this idea this morning. Because there will be times when we don't understand. So what I want us to do this morning when we leave here is, is focus right in on some promises that we can hold on to and know to be true. These are the same whether you're walking in a time of light or walking in a time of darkness. And they're going to be real simple, but I'm hoping you'll be able to remember them here this morning. And they'll carry you through whatever stage you find yourself in life. And they are these three very simple but truth-filled phrases. The first is that God is good. God is good. The second is that God is for me. And the final one here this morning is that God is with me. God is good. God is for me. God is with me. I want you to hold on to these this morning. I want these to become like a compass for you so that if you do find yourself in a storm and you're, you're kind of losing direction, that these three words, they would almost be like a lighthouse in the distance that you could say, man, this is terrible, everything is going on, but that thing there, that never changes. As long as I keep my eyes fixed on that, that's something I can move towards. That's something that will get me through the storm. Because let's be honest, right now, some of us probably aren't in a crisis. Maybe you're here this morning and you're just feeling great. You're feeling blessed. You, and praise God for that. It's a great time and, and you're just really reassured this morning of the fact that God is with you. God loves you. But let's also be honest that in every life, the winds change direction. And sometimes the storms of life begin to blow. These challenges, they're like curveballs, the, the betrayals, those things you didn't expect. And all of a sudden, you're holding on to who God is and, and it, it feels like you're starting to slip. Sometimes in life, you can get to the point where the chaos, the hurt, the confusion, they're just so great that you feel like you're barely holding on. Holding on to a God who, who's leaving you with white knuckles and worn out muscles spiritually. And today, we're looking at what it looks like to hold on to that unchanging and immovable God. Because we're going to remember that God is good. 
that God is for me and God is with me. You know, in Mark chapter 10, verse 18, Jesus is speaking and he says this. He says, no one is good except God alone. This is Jesus, the Son of God. He says, no one is good except God. God is good. God alone is good. So why is that so important to understand? Well, because I think when things do turn bad in our lives, we have this tendency to project that onto God. We don't understand why we're in the situation we're in and we start to question God. It starts to change our thoughts of of who God is. When things that happen that are bad, we sometimes start to think that maybe God isn't good because he's allowing this thing. But our God transcends circumstances. That's what we hold on to in the middle of cancer. God is good. In abuse, in hurts that are so deep that we can't explain it, that they affect our lives forever. Even then, God is good. In grieving a loss, God is good. In war, God is good forever. And it will never, ever change. He is always good. We remember that. We cling on to that, that God is good. The second thing is that God is for me. It's so important that we realize that here this morning, that God is for me. If God is for us, who can be against us, Paul says. Paul, in writing to the church in Rome, he says, if God is for us, who can be against us? Sometimes I think we read verses like that and we forget the the magnitude of what's being said there. This is God who created the universe. The scriptures call him the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. He is everything and he is for you. The God who created the universe, he knows you by name. And he is for you this morning. If that is true and that the scripture says it is, I believe it is, that God's created everything and that he's for you, then who and what circumstance could ever dare faze you? This all-powerful God, he's your advocate. He believes in you. He has a dream and a purpose that is beyond the confusion of today. We can hold on to that and we can remember that God is always good. He is always for us. And then this last truth that I want you to hold on to, because sometimes you have to believe it because it's true, not because you feel it. Because there'll be times where your feelings won't be much help to you. They'll actually cause you to want to believe something else. And sometimes you hold on to this because you know it to be true, not because you feel it to be true. And it's clear, it's right there in the scripture in Hebrews 13, 5. It says, never will I leave you, never will I forsake you. That's a promise from God to every one of us here this morning. That whatever you go through in those times of light, but even in those times of darkness, when it doesn't feel like it, never will I leave you. Never will I forsake you. That is good news. And here's the most amazing part of all of that. Do you know that for us to truly be in a place where God will never leave or forsake us, Jesus had to come to a place of crying out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Jesus had to come to that point. God the Father had to turn his presence from his one and only son He forsook and left his son so that he would never have to forsake you. Listen to how Paul explains it again. He's writing to this church in Corinth. And he explains it this way. He says, God made him, Jesus, who had no sin, to be sin for us. Why did Jesus become sin? It goes on to say, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. 
Why did God have to forsake Jesus? Because Jesus became sin on the cross. At that moment on that cross, he became greed. He became murder, adultery, lust, lying, pornography, cheating, racism, hatred, anything you could imagine this morning that's ever existed in the world. Jesus became that sin. And at that moment, God had to look away because his eyes are too righteous even to look upon sin. Jesus died for our sins so that our sins can be forgiven. When everyone around the cross didn't understand, when they were questioning, it looks like your God's left you, it's because God made him sin so that we can become the righteousness of God in Christ. At that moment when Jesus cried out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? It's because God's plan was that he would never, ever forsake us. In that moment, Jesus changed history and we can now be here today knowing that God will never forsake us because the wrong things in our life have been paid for by the right thing that Jesus did. So no matter what you're going through here this morning, never, ever, ever forget that God is good. God is for you and God will never, ever leave you. I grew older, and um, in 2004, I was able to go on a mission trip to Honduras. And um, in, some, in my prayer time in Honduras, I, was, I prayed and was still asking God why. Um, and I felt like God revealed to me that he allowed that to happen. So um, a passion could be birthed inside of me for students, for youth, for young people. We struggled with the why and um, questioned And God showed us throughout the whole process that he was with us and that he, he was holding our Isaiah when we couldn't. But it was during the time when we knew that he was going to leave us, that he was going to to go be with our father in heaven, that we knew God was in this. We, we, We knew it was. But it was, it was difficult to get to that place. We, we really wanted him to be healed. But we, had, we began the process of accepting that God was God and God is good. I would never choose to have my father abuse me. But uh, by God allowing that to happen, um, I'm able, as a survivor, I'm able to tell my students that they too can forgive. They too can survive. They too can be healed um, and live with our true father. Because of that, man, I can experience the love of my true father, my heavenly father. A love that is pure and unconditional. After trying for a year and a half after losing Isaiah, um, we found out this past Christmas that um, I'm pregnant. And um, I have a peace about this pregnancy. And that's something that I feel that... God has shown me and um, put on my heart, and he's been faithful, and he's good. You know, if you're here this morning and you've never made a decision to follow Jesus, I want you to know that there are many here this morning that have, who have made that decision to make Jesus the Lord of their lives, and, and because of that, they've been able to weather the storms in their lives. It's been tough, don't get me wrong, I'm not saying that it's been any easier for them, But they felt his presence there. And and in some moments, even being able to see some purpose in why that happens. Why God would allow something like that to happen. 
Because, you see, the truth is here this morning that even though I said earlier, I, I, I'm not sure that I can answer questions, and I still don't know that I can answer um, many questions. I still don't know that I'll ever fully understand all of this. I do see this, that as I grow closer to Jesus, as I mature in my faith in Jesus, and I see this happening with others that are here this morning as they become more of a mature follower of Jesus, something starts to change. And and instead of asking why in situations like this, why? What we do is we tend to ask the question, what? Instead of asking why, we, we find ourselves asking the question, what, instead? Instead of asking, God, why is this happening to me? Followers of Jesus find themselves saying, God, what do you want to accomplish in me as a result of this? God, what do you want to accomplish in others as a result of this? That's what I love about the way that video closed out. You saw some people there that were saying, God, I can see now. It, It took time, but looking back now, I can start to see that this is what you wanted to accomplish through that time in my life. And they were all saying, hey, I wouldn't want that to happen, but it did happen and now I see how God has turned that around. And, and there'll be situations where you'll still never fully understand. But my hope and prayer is that you'll come to the point where when you go through those times, you do get to see God's hand in it and maybe a part of God's purpose in it. So Case and I, we, um, we, we, we've talked a little bit about this before, but just very recently, this, this experience is uh, still very uh, fresh in our minds. Casey's sister, Robin, uh, and her husband, Josh, uh, about a year ago, found out they were pregnant. They have uh, four beautiful boys, and uh, they'd found out they were pregnant with a fifth child, so they were super excited. They were wondering, you know, maybe, maybe this will be a girl. You know, we've got four boys, maybe this will be a girl. And they continued to go for their regular checkups. And then one time they went for a checkup, and uh, the doctor contacted Robin afterwards and said, listen, you're going to need to come in and see me because we've, we've discovered something uh, doing the blood test, that kind of thing. And and they sat Robin down and they said, um, we're very sad to tell you that we are you know, 99% sure that your baby will be born with a condition called trisomy 18. It's a very rare genetic defect and it's, um, it's fatal. It, um, you know, it's, it's, it's not survivable. And they told Josh and Robin this and they said, the reality is, you know, there's a strong chance you won't go full term in your labor. If you do, there's a strong chance that you won't deliver this baby, you know, alive. And, and even if the baby is delivered alive, it, there's a very strong chance that uh, the life uh, expectancy of that child will be very short. So Josh and Robin, they, they prayed about this. They both um, are followers of Jesus themselves. Josh works for a church up in Chicago. And, and they both believe in the sanctity of life. They believe that every baby is a miracle. And for them, there was no other option than to, to carry this child. That was their um, decision that they made. So they prayed hard during this pregnancy. They said, maybe the doctors are wrong. Maybe they're right, but God will perform a miracle. And, and they got all the way through to her due date, which in and of itself was a miracle. Then they had this baby, this, this little baby boy by the name of Zion. And Zion was born. And, and even then in the hospital, you know, the doctors weren't holding up much hope, but, but they cared for him and they nurtured him. And for 10 days... They got to live with Zion. And I, I don't know, have we even put the pictures up as I've been talking? Let's put a couple of those pictures up now. That's Robin and Josh right there with Zion. That's his four brothers there. There's Case and I on the day he was born. We got to go up and see him. And Case bought him a lion. That's Zion's lion. But uh, 
We love that picture. And there he is right there, that little boy. For 10 days, they got to hold Zion. You know, Josh and Robin had a lot of wonderful family and friends. And in the 10 days that Zion was alive, he was never set down. Through the night, Robin would sleep and someone would come and just hold him and rock him. And then when she was awake, she would hold him and Josh would hold him and the family would hold him. And they just loved on that little guy. But as each day went on, it became more obvious that this precious little baby was just fighting really hard to stay alive. And after 10 days, Josh and Robin held him as he, as he gave up that fight and passed away. And, and for us as followers of Christ, we now know that he is fully healthy. That he is in eternity with his, his Savior, with Jesus, with Father God. And he's, he's, he's there and Josh and Robin will be reunited. They'll get to, to see Zion again. But here's the thing. So we, we went to, they, it wasn't a funeral. We, we weren't allowed to call it a funeral. It was a celebration of life. We went to the celebration of this little baby boy's life. And people shared and people talked. And there was a friend of theirs that made a video. And um, this video, it just highlighted some different tweets and Instagrams that people had said about Zion. We're praying for you. We love you. You know, these, and they, there were passages in there and there were pictures and there was music. And he made this video and we watched it in the, the celebration service and there wasn't a dry eye in the house. And we kind of thought that was the end of it. Well, somehow someone picked up on this and the video was on Vimeo and still is. Um, and this news network heard about it, and they published it on their website. And before you know it, another news network and another news network, and before you know it, this video that they'd made about the life of Zion, those 10 precious days that Josh and Robin got to spend with him, it was on CNN Online, it was on the Today Show's website, it was on uh, the Daily Mail in the UK, and before you know it, Robin's getting these friend requests on Instagram from literally all around the world. Like you could search, um, what was the hashtag, Zion? Just Zion? Okay, just Zion was the hashtag. And, and you'd, get the, you'd read these tweets like in foreign languages and then a link to the video. Josh tells me because the church was hosting the video that they're able to go in and look. At this point, 8 million people have watched that video. And Robin, on a regular basis, she gets emails saying, your video really helped us as a family. We're going through this right now. Or this happens to our baby and seeing your video has helped us and it's brought healing and it's brought help. And, and don't get me wrong, if Robin were here now, she'd say, hey, I would give anything to have him back. But for Robin and Josh, as followers of Jesus, they're able to just see a little bit of the purpose of his short life, how he is impacting literally millions of people around the world. So I don't understand sometimes why it feels like God has forsaken us. But I do know this. I do know that God can take all situations and bring glory through them. And I know this this morning. I want you to, to these words to be ringing in your mind because we sang about it earlier. We sang this song and it was, you make all things work together for your good. And some of us sang that this morning because we know the tune. Some of us sang that this morning because they're words that we're familiar with. But I believe that there were some of you here this morning that sang that. And it was hard to sing those words because you know that, man, I've been through a tough time. But God, I do believe, even in the darkness, that you make all things work together for your good. So I want you to do this as, as we think about that phrase where Jesus cried out, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Some of us can relate to that. We can feel like God's forsaken us.
But remember this. Number one, it was because Jesus cried out that phrase that we can know this to be true. That God is good. That God is for us. And that he will never, ever leave us. That God is with us. So here's what we're going to do. We're going to pray this morning. And I realize that this subject is, uh, uh, has, has probably very well stirred up some things. Maybe something you're going through right now. Maybe it's brought up a memory of some, just a rough time that you went through. And here's what we're going to do. I'm going to pray and we'll close out the service. And, you know, the lights will come on we'll have some music playing. But if you're here this morning and, and this has just been a tough message to hear and it's a, a difficult time. Even though I've shared this, I know it's still difficult. If you want someone to pray with you, just, just make your way to the front. We've got some people here this morning that are part of our prayer team and, and they'll be, be here and available and come see me and either I'll pray with you or I'll introduce you to uh, some guys or ladies on our prayer team here who would love to pray with you as well. And maybe this morning you're just like, Dave, I just need a bit of prayer just to really get me through this. I know God is good. I know he's for me. I know he's with me, but it doesn't make it any tougher what I'm going through right now. So Father, I just pray right now, Lord, for all that are here. Lord, as we're looking at these different phrases, God, um, the reality is that every one of them, Jesus, that you uttered on the cross were deeply emotional, deep cries out, Lord. And last week we talked about what it must have been like to have been thirsty and how we too, in those times of thirst, can, can find the living water in you. And this morning, Lord, as we think about the moment where you looked up to heaven and said, why have you forsaken me? That the reality is that there have been times in our life where it's gone dark and we feel that way ourselves. We completely um, relate to what Jesus was sharing. Help us never to forget, Lord, that no matter what happens, Lord, you are good. You are for us and you'll never leave us. You are with us. Bless us this week, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen.